0: You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery and I am looking out at a beautiful scene right now. I am at my parents' lake house retreat where they retired to out here in southeastern oklahoma and it is always a beautiful beautiful week when we come out here to visit to spend my work days at their table on their back patio because they have set up a plethora one two three four five six seven hummingbird feeders and there is a hummingbird tree where they all live over here to my right that i'm looking at and they come and they just turn this into a hummingbird playground during the day and watching i don't know 10 15 of them just fly around and drink the succulent nectar and chase each other and play is just a wonderful environment to participate in my work days. And I do come out here to work. I don't spend the entire time at the lake, although I will be at the lake here in a couple hours once this is done. And I have been missing um, some of my deadlines when it comes to the podcast. And I appreciate everyone's patience with that as Um, the master's class was a lot. And so I know a lot of you have hit me up and asked me how that's been going. So I will give a quick review. Um, For those of you who are listening linearly, who are up to date on the episodes, then you know that I have started my master's at Grand Canyon University um, to become a licensed professional counselor, aka a therapist. And so this has been a wonderful journey. And the first class really is just a, I like to call it a how to be a student class. When people have asked me what all uh, school has been like so far, I call it the how to be a student class. Now, what in reality they were doing was teaching us how to use their interface because it's done on this um, application called Halo. And there's a ton of resources and a ton of links and there's research involved. And it's going into academic papers and academic books and knowing how to cite and bibliography and all this stuff that I'm sure at some point in high school or college I had learned. But... Having graduated in 2006, now going back to school at 2023, that was a little bit of time ago. <laughs> 17 years to be exact, which is my favorite number. So, or a variation of my favorite number. All numbers that include a seven are, are my favorite number. So, it has not been lost on me that 17 years after graduating from the University of Florida, I'm now back in school. It was a wonderful class out of a thousand points possible. Um, Right now, we are waiting for the last big grade to come in. I've got um, 818 points out of 860 for a 95.12 average. I botched up one of the very first essays, wrote it way informally, and didn't cite my bibliography resources correctly and lost like 20 points. And um, then I lost some more points for some participation stuff that I didn't realize I was doing incorrectly. So what I have learned is that when you lose large chunks of points, it is very difficult to earn those back. And it looks like even if I get 140 out of 140 on the next assignment, I probably will be looking at best at 96-something. So my goal of getting a 100 in this class, well let's just say, may not have been a <laughs> realistic goal when I said it. Uh, certainly I, an A was always the ultimate goal. So uh, I will get an A on the first assignment or the first class. And this one was just teaching us how to use the interface and how to research and how to write and all that cool stuff. And I've gotten a hold of a, an app called Grammarly that makes sure that I don't write like a dunderhead. And it's been a fantastic learning experience. The very first quote-unquote, real class, is actually called The History and Etiology of Substance and Process Addiction. And so this is going to be on um, substance abuse and addiction. So I do think that the, very, the it's very cool to me that the first class is actually going to be about substance abuse and addiction, because that is obviously my forte. That is the world that I live in and that is what I love to help people move through and get into sobriety and recovery. So very cool that the first class is right up my alley. And speaking of right up my alley, I have been introducing some new information into my brain outside of the classroom that has been diving me a little bit deeper into the philosophy of life and it was introduced to me by Chris, one of our tribe members. He listens to a podcast called Philosophize This. And I was very intrigued whenever he introduced me to this podcast because I spend an inordinate amount of time, or maybe a very ordinate amount of time. I'm not really sure. I think the definition of inordinate would be uh illogical or <laughs> a lot. Um I'm not really sure, but I love the word inordinate so I used it. And uh I spend a lot of time in the psychology world trying to understand the psychology of the human mind and why it is we make the decisions that we do and where are they anchored from and how can we begin to make shifts and changes that are actionable that we can actually be self-aware of. That is like the crux of why I do what I do. It's not enough to make the change to me. It's to understand why is that happening inside my brain? Why did I continue to use and and go back to the same poison for 22 years thinking that it was going to somehow miraculously bring me a different outcome? The fake definition of insanity is that you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result when in fact it's, not the definition of insanity at all, but certainly one that people love to quote and and claim that Einstein once said it. And regardless of whether it's real or make-believe, it is something that people say. And once they adopt it as their reality, then it becomes something that we continuously call upon. And for the longest time, a lot of us spent a majority of our time hopping from one high to the next. And something that I've been dabbling in recently is that It's really, how do I say this in such a way that it lands, and I get my point across, more than likely I'm going to botch it up and I'm going to have to retrace some steps, but I'm going to say it anyways. I considered it to be a blessing that my addiction overwhelmed my life so much. And it dragged me down to the point where I bounced off my rock bottom and had no other choice but to get into addiction recovery or die. I really do consider it to be a blessing. And let me explain why I think the depths of my despair were actually a blessing. There are those out there who might just be dabbling in the alcohol, dabbling in the drugs in such a way that it never completely derails their life but it poisons them just enough to keep them from reaching their highest of highs, their ultimates of ultimates. They're meant to be in life. It can be frustrating when you want to achieve something And no matter how many times you put yourself out there, you find yourself consistently falling just short of the mark. Now, whether that's an addictive substance or alcohol or something of that regard, you know, food, sex, porn, gambling, causing you not to achieve something is subjective to your perspective. And there's tens of thousands of you listening, so I can't possibly go through every single possible scenario. So just put yourself in this for a moment. Was there ever a point where you thought you were just on the teeter-totter? Some days were good, some days were bad, but you never really could pinpoint that it was addiction or that it was an addictive substance causing your life to not be the best that it could be. When I broke my leg and laid in bed for four months waiting for it to heal and drank myself into obliteration, that was my opportunity for the addiction to take hold, for it to, to firmly wrap its Greasy little angry hands around my neck and just pull me to the depths. Previously, I had teeter tottered. I'd go a few months of hardcore drinking, a few months of laying off, maybe even a few months of not drinking at all, dry drunking it, if you will, uh, not really, you know, dry sobriety, not really doing, putting any effort into figuring out the depths, just staying away from the alcohol and drugs just long enough to sort of right my ship and thinking, okay, I figured out this beast just to be dragged back down. There are those out there who the depths of their despair doesn't hit, and they just dabble, 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 dabble. I feel blessed that my dabbling turned into just a perpetual drinking cycle that left me with no other choice but to die or to get healthy because then I was put in a predicament where it's like, I don't want to die. I don't want my story to end this way. I want it to be this. So let's do this instead. And then I put all my energy into making that sobriety and recovery possible for me. I mean, every waking moment of that first year was just, what am I doing toward keeping myself away from the monster? Of course, six and a half years in now, the monster is way, 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 way in the back of the bus. That doesn't mean that the monster ever gets off the bus. As you learned in the soup metaphor, we never take an ingredient out. We just add better tasting ingredients in. You don't get to take anything out it's there it's part of your history it's beautiful if you embrace it as beautiful if you learn from those lessons we've all wronged some people and we've done things we want to make amends for and once we've done those things we just have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say okay that's who i was but that's not who i am today And so as I dive into this philosophy podcast and I start to introduce philosophical components to my thinking, I am not quite to the place where I can fully metastasize a complete idea of how philosophy and psychology will ultimately grow Jesse Mogul as a human being. But I do know that consistently introducing in this new material on top of what I'm learning in school and what I'm already bringing to the podcast and what I'm learning through writing my next book and, you know, coaching clients and and going out and speaking places, like it's all creating something. I don't necessarily know what the end goal is, but I know that it's magnificent. I have created a visualization of who I would choose to become, and I seek every single moment of my life to check myself to make sure I'm working toward that. That's really the best that you can do, is you can make a decision to achieve something, and then every single day ask yourself, am I moving the needle closer to that? And some days do stagnate, and some days I don't feel like I accomplish stuff, and I have to put a actionable amount of energy toward being gentle on myself to say, it's okay. Not every day is going to be amazing. Not every day is going to be like riding a roller coaster. Some days I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I can seek to figure out why. Was it a picture that popped into my head? Was it a thought I had at first? Was it a lack of gratitude? We can go through this after action report, but when we're in the middle of let's just go with a negative experience it can often be hard to step out and look at it third person and say what in the heck is happening right now what can I do in some days it's literally like I don't know what else to do but go for a walk I'm gonna get 10,000 steps and I'm gonna do 300 push-ups because you know what that's that's what I've got in the tank today some days I am a 20 and I don't know what is making it a day that's a 20 not a day that could have been a hundred that's a, that's the psychology of the human mind. It's why are some days amazing and some days aren't. I've got friends who study astrology who say it has something to do with your moon and your stars are located. And I have other people who will talk about energy and say that you've got it bottled up and you're, you're not expressing yourself. And there's a block in your chakras and you need to meditate it away. I've got other people who will swear that if you just go to the gym every day for an hour, everything will be great in life. And other people who will tell me that you got to drink more protein shakes with green shit in it. You know, everybody's going to have their own philosophy, their own reasoning for why they do what they do. And it is a journey for each one of us to say, okay, well, this day was good. This day was not good. Can I figure out what components were different? and perhaps put a little bit more attention towards what was good on the good day and less attention on what was bad on the bad day. And so, I know, whether this is making any sense to you or not, I I have a feeling if you've been on this ride with me for 225 episodes up to this point, episode 226 is making a lot of sense to you. If you're new to the show, then you probably think that this is rambling nonsense of a madman, and you could be potentially correct on that too. <laughs> I never said that everything I say is true to you, but it's True to me in the moment that I say it. And that goes into this whole philosophy idea. It's like we can say things and we can be a person today and we can choose to be and say as a different person tomorrow. That we're not a fixed person. We're not in a fixed place. I, I, no man ever stands in the same river twice because even if it's just. An hour from now, the river is different and I'm different. I'm, we're always changing. There's a, a, a shifting of ourselves. There's a, a new viewpoint that has been introduced to us that even if we reject it, has still been introduced to us. And that is going to be the crux of what today's episode is going to be about because I am in the woods and I am enjoying the beautiful nature and I've got the hummingbirds all around me and I've got all of this new information pouring into my skull and I don't really know what to do with it other than get on a microphone and talk about it. And so today's episode, we're going to try to mix in a little bit of philosophical conversation with some of our psychology that we have been going over Um, some of the really cool topics that we're going to run over if you'd like to take notes then by all means you could write some of this down but some of the key phrases that i'm going to circle back into a couple different times is that which we resist persists that restriction causes friction we're going to go over don miguel ruiz's agreement number two to not take things personally We're going to discuss loosely held, strong opinions. I used to say strong opinions, loosely held. But I'm really enjoying loosely held, strong opinions. I'm switching the organization of that sentence. I'm not sure if it's going to bring a dramatic... Uh, change in the way that I think about it in my brain but I'm trying it out for a little bit and seeing if I like loosely held strong opinions more so than strong opinions loosely held and then we're obviously going to be discussing self-awareness because that is really at the heart of what we seek to achieve within ourselves is this self-awareness that comes from after action reports and things of that nature that just allow us to see something inside of ourselves that otherwise would have been hidden in the shade So why is this podcast even happening? The other day I was listening to a Philosophize This episode and I had introduced it to a friend and he had not ever heard this before. And so he has his own ways of thinking, just like I have my own ways of thinking. And when the podcast came up and we started listening to it, it was about whether whether reality is real whether we're living in a simulation and if anything is, is real. And I'm not going to dive back into all of the intricacies of this because then that'll just turn into a 45-minute show on its own. But there are philosophers who have tried to answer the question, do we actually live in reality? Is this one of those, I think, therefore I am kind of scenarios or is it potentially that all of this around us isn't even real? And we've discussed that. We've discussed how our five senses bring in information, touch, taste, sight, sound, smell. We've discussed how they go through a system of processes and filters. The processes are delete, distort, generalize, and the filters can be time, space, energy, attitude, personality, memories, experiences, all of these things meta programs there's a it's a ton and they're all happening at the same time and it kicks back this picture that you hold in your mind if i say skyscraper if i say dog if i say chocolate cake you have a picture of these in your head that becomes your reality for what those items are and no two people will have the same picture in their mind of the sears tower or a golden retriever even if we're if we all lived in the same house and we all owned the same one golden retriever, the picture we'll have in our head of that golden retriever will not be the same. We'll have a different background or there'll be a different brightness. All of this is being created in your head. It creates your reality. It happens externally, but your reality is created inside your head. And from this internal representation you know that's built upon your touch, taste, sight, sound, smell, and your internal self-talk, you then get a physical state that comes from it, like your body has some kind of shift, some kind of uh, whether it be your posture or the way you're sitting, standing, all of this stuff, and then that creates a, uh, a behavior, and then that behavior, that action that you take, creates an uh, an action which gives you a uh, the whole response mechanism, and then thus you kick back something else out that comes from your response, and then that starts the whole loop over again. And we've discussed that ad nauseum. So I don't feel like I need to dive into that very much anymore. Back to the podcast. So when I introduce this to my friend, he has his own belief system. And having his belief system questioned on whether we're living in a reality or not was not something that he was necessarily in the mood for at the time. And it turned into a rather heated exchange. And, you know, heated in as much as I find it just really fun to introduce new information to myself. And not necessarily everybody is willing to have that flexibility, that neuroplasticity of the brain. And in fact, at one point in in my head, I literally felt like I was in the matrix and I had somehow... Mr. Smith was the agent that was always going after Neo. And I I literally thought I was sitting next to Mr. Smith, the agent, and I had just somehow informed him that he was nothing other than a creation from a computer and he was rejecting it with veracity. I was like, oh my goodness, is this the Matrix fighting back against me learning that I'm in the Matrix? So I found it the whole thing to be funny because you don't necessarily have to, Believe everything that you hear. But I, like I've said before, just because you listen to somebody say something doesn't mean you condone what they're saying, doesn't mean that you have to believe it. But it doesn't mean that you have to outright reject it either. And then that's where I came up with this philosophical idea that I'm going to share with you all today. So, in order to set the foundation for this philosophical idea, I'm, I want to lay out two different things for you to visualize. First, I want you to visualize that every decision that you've ever made in your entire life has created a room inside your mind. Now for me, I'm going to visualize this as just the most infinite McMansion that has ever existed so that every decision that I have ever made has its own room where once I make the decision, I can close the door. That decision has been made. That decision is final for me. I can revisit that decision by reopening that door but I can also choose to not reopen the door and not revisit that decision. So let me break this down on the way I've, because I've been doing a lot of loops around this neighborhood in the woods. And so this is how my brain has created this. If every decision is its own room in the McMansion, let's let's take coffee because this is the way my brain started to create it. I'm drinking coffee right now. In fact, coffee break. Mm, that was way hotter than I thought it would be. Okay, I burned my mouth. <laughs> Maybe I let that cool off a little bit more. So the way my brain created this whole room is every decision kind of thing. And if you're new to the show, you might want to go check out some of the ones that are a little bit more sound on grounded footing. This one, I'm just throwing out some philosophical ideas because this is where I'm at right now in this in this beautiful landscape and environment. And I figured let's, let's throw out something that's super, super heady. So every decision that you've ever made has its own room inside your mind, has its own room inside this McMansion of the mind. Let's go with coffee. So, I think black coffee is delicious. That is a decision that I've made. That lives in its own room. Black coffee is delicious. Now, what if somebody, what if I were to say uh, black coffee with cream is unhealthy? That gets its own room. That gets its own room. It's not in the same room with black coffee is delicious because it's a different decision. Black coffee with cream is unhealthy. I don't want the cream. I don't want the milk. I don't need the dairy, yada, yada, yada. Black coffee with caramel is delicious or is not delicious or whatever decision I'd want to make. That has its own room. You could have a whole wing of this McMansion that's just based upon decisions you've made around coffee. Coffee in the morning is good. Coffee at night is bad. All of these have their own decisions. All of these get to have their own rooms. And they can be in the wing that is called coffee but each decision is its own decision. Because when you make the decision to think black coffee is good and then you make the decision to no longer put cream or only put oat milk in your coffee, that's a different decision. It lives in within its own little world. And you could revisit it. There are times where I go to a really cool uh, lake town like this one, and we might go into a coffee shop and they might have really cool coffee drinks. And normally I am a 99.9% black coffee only drinker, but we're on vacation and they've got this really cool thing. And so I'm going to try it. So in that moment, I'm on vacation. So I'm going to try a fun coffee drink gets its own little room. And every decision you've ever made, beer is good, beer is delicious, non-alcoholic beer is good, non-alcoholic beer is disgusting, uh, You know, uh, liquor is going to kill me, liquor was fine for 20 years. All of these decisions, they live in their own thing. And so I've, I just want you to visualize for a moment that every decision you've ever made has its own room. And even if there's offshoots, that's a different decision you have to make. Therefore, it's a different room. The beautiful thing about this philosophy is that it allows us to realize that all of our decisions live as their own separate entity, that you make one that might affect another 20 decisions, but those decisions still live as their own separate decision. That ketchup is delicious on hamburgers, but it's grotesque on hot dogs. That's a decision you make that lives outside of ketchup is good on hot dogs and hamburgers. It's different. And this is where we're going to move into the second philosophical thing that I wanted to bring to your attention. So we've got this idea that every single decision that we make is its own room. Now I want to introduce where I'm trying to, at, at this stage, bring in some philosophy. And again, this may or may not land, and this might go down as one of the most atrocious episodes ever or the most hilarious. Either way, it's getting ready to happen. So if every decision is its own room, and let's go with the black coffee one that black coffee is d- delicious. So there's four different ways that I'm going to look at this decision that I have made. And this all again stemmed from this podcast that said are we living in a reality or are we living in a simulation? And so what if everything I think about coffee being black coffee being delicious is true? Everything that I think about black coffee is being delicious is true. That's the first part of this whole it's a, in a way it's sort of like cartesian coordinates which is a, a offshoot of nlp but in it, but it's also just these four different ways it, it could also be very similar to tetralema which is something else i teach in master practitioners but i don't want to get into the i don't want to get into all that let's just stay with we've got four things that we're going to ask ourselves about the decisions that we make. So if you're taking notes and you've decided that black coffee is delicious, here are four potential questions you can ask yourself that will increase your self-awareness, not necessarily to make a change in your opinion or your decision, but just to highlight where you may or may not be looking in the shade. May not You may have hid something in the shadows. Let's pull it out. Let's just make sure that we're okay with the decisions that we've made. So the first question you would or statement or a hypothesis, if you will, that you would say is that everything I think about black coffee being delicious is true. Everything. No matter what anybody says, everything I think about black coffee being delicious is true. The second one I would introduce is everything that I think about black coffee being delicious is false. What if I thought everything that I thought about black coffee was false? Would this change my decision around drinking black coffee? Would anything change if I assumed that everything I ever thought about black coffee being delicious was false? The third question that we're going to introduce or statement or hypothesis, don't really know, but not important, is what, what if everything I think about black coffee being delicious is true and everything else, whatever anybody else may think about black coffee not being delicious is false? So what if everything I think about something is true and whatever anybody else thinks that might go negative to what my belief system is, is false? And then what if everything I think about black coffee being delicious is false? And everything else that other people think about black coffee not being delicious is true. So we've got four different quadrants here. Everything that I think about black coffee is true, just for me. right? Then everything I think about black coffee being good for me is false. There's nobody else. It's just the black and white of... Coffee is good or coffee is bad. It's just everything I think about black coffee is true. And then in the other quadrant, everything I think about black coffee is false. Here's the two, to me, the important parts is whenever I start introducing another person into this. One of everything that I think about black coffee being delicious and good for me is true. And anything that somebody else might ever say against that belief system that I have, that black coffee is good for me. Everything else anybody might try to interject into that belief system I have is absolutely false. And without a doubt, they have no merit to stand on. But what if everything that I think about black coffee being delicious for me is false? And that everything anybody else has to say about black coffee not being good for me is true? Would this actually change my opinion? Would this actually change the way that I experience black coffee? Because it doesn't necessarily have to, nor would it. Or should it and this stems from this philosophy podcast because this is my friend he was so just against this idea that we were living in a simulation that we weren't living in you know this matrix that life was real and that this was the degradation of society and i'm like okay well what if everything i think about this episode of philosophize this is true okay so then everything i listen at this what if it's all true What kind of decisions or opinions or beliefs will I build around this episode about whether we live in a simulation or not? What decisions would I make around that if everything this guy is saying is true? And you can use this whenever you're watching a talking head on the news or you're watching somebody give you information about fantasy football or you're watching somebody introduce you to a new cooking recipe. What if everything that I am hearing, that I am experiencing, that I am deciding upon right now, what if it's all true? Then, conversely, conversely, what if everything that this Philosophize podcast is telling me right now is false? What if none of it is true? How does that affect my opinions? How does that affect my beliefs? How does that affect the decisions I make around this information and how it could affect my life? Now, what if Everything I think about this Philosophize podcast, where it is talking about whether we live in a simulation, what if everything that I think about this episode is true and everything that my buddy, everything he is thinking about this podcast is false? So therefore, I am absolutely true and he is absolutely false. Does that change the way that I perceive this information? Is it, does it change the way that it um, creates my reality? Because remember, the thing about this information is that it, it's, it can live true to some people and it can live false to others. And even if we happen to be living in a simulation, we don't get to know that. There's no way right now without 100% certainty that we would be able to figure out we're living in a simulation or not. So we're both taking in this information and I can believe that everything I'm hearing is true and he can believe that everything he's hearing is false. Conversely, let's go back to the fourth one, what if everything I think about this episode of Philosophize This is false, that nothing this guy is saying is is happening, everything negative, all the other things that my buddy is saying, what if that stuff's true? Does it change the way that I take in this information? And remember, going back to the original McMansion of decisions that we make, is every single decision we make lives in its own room. It just does. Now, I'm not going to sit here and put a stamp of authority that you cannot possibly create your own way of visualizing how you make decisions. But for me, this is what I am going to do. That, you know... Uh, Hot dogs with mustard are delicious and hamburgers with ketchup are delicious. Those are two different decisions. They get to live in their same room. They might both be happening at the same picnic, but the decisions live in their own room. Just like black coffee is delicious is its own decision. Just as much as black coffee with cream is not delicious, lives in its own room. And when we go back to this Philosophize This podcast and we have this opportunity to say, okay, what if we are living in a simulation? What if none of this is real? Does that mean that I act differently? What if we are all just you know random characters in some video game that was made by some alien civilization? Or what if our entire you know universe actually isn't a marble, like at the ending of the very first Men in Black, where it zooms out from planet Earth and shows the Milky Way and then shows our universe and all of it's just inside of a marble that some you know creature picks up and puts in his little marble bag? Like what if that is what it is? But does, that, does that change the way I behave towards you? Does that change the decisions I make in my life? Does that change the fact that I want to accomplish things and create things and love people and get healthy and travel the world? Does any of that change? What if, if, even if we are in a simulation, does that mean that I'm going to be cruel to other people because they're just computer characters? They're just pixels? And just as much as, what if everything I think about us living in a simulation is false? What if we, what if everything, 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 everything is real? Because we have already believed it to be real. So why ever change our thoughts about that? But what if this guy's idea that we could be possibly living in a computer simulation is absolutely false? Does that change it? Does that make anything more real? Does that make the existence of God more right or wrong? Does that make the existence of other gods right or wrong? You know, were the Vikings wrong because they had gods and were the Greeks and the Romans wrong because they had gods or were they right because they had gods? It's 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 right it's almost like the brain wants to fold back in on itself when we start to chunk out that far. So let's just bring it back in. What if everything I think about the Philosophize podcast is true and everything he thinks is false? So what if what if I think that we could, my belief around it is potentially, for sure. We could potentially be living in a simulation, just like we could be potentially living in the singularity of a black hole. I've got this theory I've been bouncing around for the last year or two since I started watching black hole shows that maybe all universes just exist inside of black holes. Because if there is a big bang, when black holes suck in material, they create a so, they pull everything apart, but it still puts those molecules sort of at the tail end of the black hole. And once it reaches a certain heat index, I think it's called the singularity, it explodes. And in that explosion could be potentially the Big Bang that we've all hypothesized as being the beginning of the universe. Now, again, this is nobody knows. Nobody knows. And like Neil deGrasse Tyson once said, sometimes it's okay just not knowing. When he said that, and he's you know, one of the most acclaimed astrophysicists, I don't know if he's the best, but he certainly is one of the most acclaimed because he has figured out a way to take a very complex subject and turn it into layman speak. He talks about something that a lot of people found to be very intricate and difficult to understand, and he's figured out a way to make sure the masses can understand it. And whenever a person like that can get on a microphone and say, sometimes it's okay if we just don't know then that's all I, I was like, you know what? That's good enough for me. You're right. Sometimes we can't just, we just don't. And some people can spend their whole lives trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe and other people can just say, you know, it is what it is. I'm just going to go out fishing today. But what if everything I think about us living in a simulation is true? Or what if everything I think about us living in a black hole is true? And everything that my buddy thinks is false. Does that change the way that I interact with the world? Does that change how I feel about myself when I wake up in the morning? Or how I change my interactions or the goals I set to seek and then the philosophies and psychologies I decide to place value and my strength upon. To me, no. No. If you told me today that we were living in a simulation, it would not change my desire to continue to push myself forward because then, great, let this little, you know, uh, RP. You know, it's not an RPG, what is it, computer, you know, there's a whole uh, idea around like, you know, computer controlled characters. It's like, okay, it is whatever it is, but I'm still here. I still feel if I were to take my hand right now and smash it down on this desk, it would still hurt. If I were to jump off the balcony of my parents' back porch and just belly flop onto cement, I would still feel pain. So regardless of whether any of this around me is quote unquote real based on the physics of it all, it doesn't change the fact that I feel the things matter to me, that I love, and I know what sadness and sorrow and despair are. It doesn't change any of that. So I find out that we're all living in the matrix. A hamburger is still going to be delicious to me, even if I find out that the whole belief system around that taste of the hamburger has just been created by my mind. Because I already knew that part. The way a hamburger tastes to me is not the way it's going to taste to Chris. It's not going to be the way that it tastes to Crystal or or to Jamie or to Ace or to Lindsay or to anybody else. Aaron is going to have a hamburger uh at a at a trucker stop, and that's gonna taste different than the hamburger that I ate at, you know, my parents' house over a smoker. It's we are creating our realities in our mind anyways. We are already living in a simulation in our own brain. We are already doing that stuff. What we try to articulate to somebody else as being our reality when we describe our opinions and our beliefs and the way that we think about things is already a manifestation of millions upon millions of billions of decisions that we've made of experiences that we've had all of this so going back to some of the things i said at the beginning i was going to bring into this now that i've dove in into that for some times when we resist things when When I introduce the philosophy podcast to my buddy and he chooses to resist, that doesn't just make it go away and in fact, the more we resist something, the more that it will persist as a as as an energy in our brain. When I try to resist somebody talking about politics or resist somebody talking about you know, the economics of the world, and somebody wants to bring something into my world and have a conversation about something that I either you know, don't care about or I super love or I feel super conflicted about and I still don't know how my decision-making process is going to go on that, I can resist that topic of conversation. But it doesn't make it go away. In fact, it persists. It now has become something with an open loop in my brain. And if I want to close that loop and, and create that as a decision room, then it's imperative that I instead of resisting it, that I sit in the uncomfortability that might be coming from that information, from this decision that needs to be made, and then just say, make a decision. Because even if you make no decision, that's still a decision. Inaction is still an action. Sitting on the couch and not going to the gym is still a decision even if it feels like a very passive one, it's still a decision. So when we have this opportunity to step into our sobriety and recovery and somebody wants to introduce the 12 steps or they want to introduce the Bible or they want to introduce the Buddha, or they want to introduce walking 10,000 steps, we can resist discussing it. But it's going to persist as this open loop in our brains. It may not necessarily poke at us every single second of the day, but it's going to exist in there. There's going to be a part of your brain that's going to be like, I still haven't really solidified a decision on that. It's like in my decision, my McMansion of decisions, that decision's living in its own room and the door is still open. I still have not closed that loop. At some point, I'm going to need to make this decision. Do I do the 12 steps? Do I do the refuge recovery? Do I do the SMART? Do I use physical activity as as the uh, foundation for my sobriety and recovery? Or do I use emotional healing and vulnerability? And you can use all of them because they all are creating a different pathway for you. I can choose to go to the gym five days a week, and I can choose to have vulnerable conversations. And they get to live in their own rooms. Because one day I might decide I don't want a vulnerable conversation, and one day I might decide I don't want to go to the gym anymore. And these rooms might be connected in their own way, but they create their own decision matrix. When we have, in one of one of my clients, he said restriction causes friction. When we feel that we're restricting ourselves from alcohol and drugs and things that we quote unquote think are fun and are are good for us, when we restrict ourselves from kratom, when we restrict ourselves from the cocaine, when that's how we see it being materialized inside of ourselves, when we're like, I really want to do that, but I'm not allowed to. Not allowed to do that today. Not allowed to do that. That restriction causes internal friction. That restriction is going to cause some level of issue within ourselves. And I can understand that For me, when I made the decision to no longer drink, I did not see it as a restriction. I saw it as a close to a chapter. I saw it as an end to a page. It was the period at the end of a very long story of Jesse's ruination. And I had a hell of a lot of fun, guys. I think we have more than covered that. I had a ton of fun back in that day. I'm not going to sit here and romanticize it because we've all have our own experiences and I don't need to romanticize, you know, Singapore or, you know, fish at the 96, you know, Jazz Fest because at the same time that those good memories were being, quote unquote, cr- you know, good memories, air quotes from that, were being created in Singapore, were being created at the Jazz Fest, some bad shit went down too. I blacked out in Indonesia and woke up in Singapore. I'm lucky I didn't end up in one of their pr- jails. I, I, I walked down the wrong alley trying to buy drugs in New Orleans and almost got stabbed for $60. Yes, I got to see fish that afternoon, but I also almost got stabbed. Right? So like one of my other clients said, he's like, you know, drunk version of me put me in that position. Sober version of me would not have been in that position. I have yet to find myself in a position to be stabbed or to be arrested since I got sober. I'm not saying that something may not happen in the future. There are plenty of sober people who find themselves in jail, just like there are plenty of people who are not intoxicated, who find themselves in pain because of somebody else's actions. But for me, I have noticed that I put myself in better situations through the idea of sobriety. And I do not feel that I am restricting myself from alcohol and drugs. It is an end to that version of me. Period. Point. Blank. I have fuzzed out alcohol. I have fuzzed out drugs. They can be around me, and there is not an inclination to do them. Dad and I are going to go and uh, you know go down to the lake and fill up the boat with gasoline and have a fun time today. And and marijuana is also legal in Oklahoma. I've seen uh, legalized marijuana shops in Los Angeles. I'm really chomping at the bit to see a legalized marijuana shop in Oklahoma. So he's going to take me to one of the ones in town that I drove by, and I was like, this would be a cool. I just want to go in and see what it's like, because in 1994 when I started smoking weed I was always talking to my friends about wouldn't it be cool if one day this stuff was legal and we could go into a store like toys r us but it'd be called weed is us and it would be weed everywhere and now it's a reality in some states and I just want to go in and see what it looks like I'm not going to do it I'm not going to buy any I'm not going to come home and take any I just want to I'm just curious because I it, that lives in its own past world for me I won't feel tempted when I go in there i just it's a curiosity I told myself at the beginning of this journey, I do not want to be afraid of alcohol and drugs. Now, if I go to a party and somebody is you know, laying out a ton of blow, there's a very positive, absolutely, I've already thought about this, damn good chance I turn around and leave. I just I don't even want to be around people doing that stuff. It's not that I'm afraid I might do it. It's that I just don't really want to be around people doing that stuff. I can choose to not go to the bar where everybody's black and out drunk and can instead choose to go over here to this location where there's still sports on, but there's also a pool table or an air hockey table or a ski ball or an arcade because I want to be able to play some games if I'm going to be around a bunch of people drinking. I can choose a different environment. And I can choose, and again, all these choices live in their own room. One day I might choose to not go to a bar because everybody's getting blacked out and drunk, and another day I might say, you know what, whatever. I really want to go to that bar. I want to hear that music. I want to. I want to see what, I want to see that scene. And I could stay for ten minutes or I could stay for two hours, but it gets to live as its own entity, as its own decision. I don't feel that I'm restricting. And if you feel that you're restricting, a lot of that does come from that whole white-knuckling idea, right? That's at least other people's philosophy. I don't subscribe to that. I subscribe to this idea that if we feel that we have restricted ourselves from something, then we have not created a big enough why, a big enough purpose statement in our head to no longer go back and do that thing, to eat that food, to drink that drink, to do those drugs. It comes, You know, I've got I've got a couple clients who recently joined who are still at the beginning stages of their sobriety and recovery journey, and I keep saying like, yes, it's day in and day out. It is a focus on you know, uh, and it can feel at the beginning like you're restricting. The longer you go without it, the more you start creating a life without it. Yeah, day one, day seven, not having done something you've done for years. Yeah, it it can feel like restriction because your brain is still doing the mental gymnastics. It's still trying to say, but hey, we've already made this decision. Over here, down this hallway, we already decided when we're stressed out that eating this food or drinking this drink is our way to release that anxiety, to release that stress. Why are we revisiting this? We've already figured it out. And in fact, we've been doing it for 10 years. Let's just go back to this room and enjoy this decision we've made. But now we made a different decision. And the brain is still not realizing that it doesn't get to go into that room anymore, that now it's going into this room. And it does take a shifting, and it's a change cycle that is going to be unique to yourself. For me, waking up in that bathtub covered in my own shit, piss, vomit, and blood, that was it. I'd tried 15, 20 times to get sober previously, but this was the last, last time. Because if I didn't succeed this time, I was sure I was going to die. We have this agreement to not take things personally, and I want to bring this one in because when my buddy just vehemently rejected this, are we living in a simulation podcast, and vehemently was like, I am against everything he's saying. All of this stuff is horrible. It's destroying the planet. This is what's messing with people's brains. Okay, that's that person's opinion. I do not take it personally, because any opinion, any belief, any decision somebody else has made is unique to themselves, their experiences, their memories, who they are. It has nothing to do with me. I can choose to make a choice on whether I want to be around with people who make those kind of choices and say those kind of things, but I don't seek to change anybody. Everybody is unique. They have their, uh, I don't believe people are special as much as I believe people are unique. We all have our own way of creating a reality inside of our mind, and he has his way and I have my way. His is abju- abject, re- rejection, abject rejection of a philosophy podcast that questions whether we're living in a simulation or not. Mine isn't necessarily total acceptance of what the guy is saying as much as it's just a willingness to hear him out. But it's, again my curiosity versus their lack of curiosity it's not anything more than that and i'm not going to take it personally like one of uh, one of the tribal members says the world needs my love way more than it needs my opinion and i know on this show i share a lot of opinions and a lot of things i've researched and i gather up all this stuff and i introduce it to you but i introduce it to you in a way where you get to choose whether you want to keep listening You get to choose whether you want to keep liking it. You get to choose whether you do anything with it or whether it's just something that you listen to in the background and you let it absorb and it just slowly changes your whole life. Or maybe you just listen to me and you're like, this guy is ridiculous. I can't even believe that somebody has given him a microphone. And then you keep coming back to see how much more ridiculous I can be. All of that can exist at the same time or none of it could exist. But either way, I don't know unless somebody comes to me and says, hey, I really like your material, it's helping me. Okay, well, I know for that person it's true that I'm helping and I'm guiding. But I don't hear from all 20, 30,000 people who listen to the show weekly. I don't know what any of those people are thinking until they reach out to me. And so I have this idea that I can have my loosely held strong opinions, and I do not take it personally if somebody doesn't also believe in my opinion. I honestly don't even have the energy to try to debate every single human on the, the validity of some of the things that I say. They are true to me. I have been told by many of you that, yeah, some things I believe that you, when you say them and some things I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's his opinion. I have my own. That's great. I never wanted any of you to have my opinion. I wanted you to listen to this stuff and create your own reality out of it. How does it help you? Well, my buddy, the same one about this Philosophize podcast, he has this thing where he coaches people too. Um, and one of the things that he says is, you know, you've got you've to figure out what works for you. That's one of his big things. You know, I can tell people to do this, 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 or this, but you've got to figure out what works for you. Well, I have a couple issues with that. One, I don't tell people what to do. I ask questions that allow them to understand the different options they have. And then we we figure out a decision-making process that gets them moving on one of those. Any movement is better than no movement as far as I'm concerned. You know, you can stand still in the woods and try to figure out what direction to walk in. But if all you can see is trees and you have no idea where you're at, at some point you're going to need to move in order to get a better viewpoint. Sometimes the movement is just to a better viewpoint. It may not even necessarily be in the right direction, but any movement's better than no movement. And I don't necessarily believe, but again, loosely held strong opinions, that telling somebody, well, you've got to figure out what works for you, then do that, is necessarily uh, a good pathway either. Because oftentimes, what's been working for somebody is their same decision-making process, their same way of experiencing things. And if they just keep falling back on that pre-programmed, tranced-out pattern of thought and decision-making, then they keep ending up with very similar occurrences, very similar results going back to the fake definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results if you consistently just find what works for you and then do that you might find yourself consistently making the same kinds of decisions it may not seem like the same decision but it could be based on many of the same beliefs and opinions and values and then or your know, past experiences and then you keep finding yourself in the same predicament this is where a coach comes in and is like well i hear what you're saying but You know, have you? Let's let's ask you a couple questions, and let's see if there's another way for you to experience this current decision that you get to make. I do not take it personally when somebody has a different opinion than me. In fact, I often enjoy hearing somebody else's opinion. It's whenever they want to yell their opinion at my face, whenever they want to try to shove theirs down and and tell me mine is ridiculous. That's what I don't enjoy, because I'm not going to tell somebody else that theirs is ridiculous. I might decide to stop talking to somebody about something, but it's generally not because of their opinion. It's because of their tone and the words they're using toward me as they express their opinion. I have zero energy to just create hate towards people in my life. I have enough, I spend enough energy just trying to get me to love me some days to try to also spend energy hating other people you can share whatever opinion you want with me just do it in a tone using words that is of the allowability that my reality could equally be true for me it doesn't have to be true for you but it can just as equally be true is that we all are creating our own and there's very few things on this planet that are objective right there is a there is a moon in our sky we have been there we do know that there is a moon that is very objective there is a gigantic rock that circles around the planet earth That is absolutely something that we can hold as objectively true. There is a warm, very warm, ball of gas in the middle of our solar system. We as humans believe that to be objectively true. We have used telescopes. We have gone and we have pointed them in that direction. So we believe it to be an objective truth that there is sun. But if somebody else's opinion is that we're living in a simulation, then that warm ball of gas isn't really there. It's really just a bunch of pixels. And everything around us that we believe is being created is, is just a, a program. But does that change the fact that whenever the, there's no clouds in the sky, I feel warm? And when there's clouds in the sky, I feel chilly? It doesn't. Regardless of whether that sun is a simulation or not, I still feel warm when there's lots of sun in the sky and less warm when there's not as much sun in the sky. Whether that sun exists or not doesn't really change the... the it doesn't at all change the fact that I either feel warm when there's sun or chilly when there's no sun. That, to me, is my objective truth, but it is, again, my truth, and somebody else can have their own truth, and you can share your truth with me, just don't yell at me. I just, I was raised in a house where yelling was the primary way that we solved problems, and, you know, honestly, most of the aftermath of the yelling turned into a lot of love and kindness and, and generosity toward one another, but it's like, first, we had to get all the yelling out of our system, and I don't enjoy that part. Why can't we just get straight to the love and the generosity and the kindness towards one another? And this will close us up on self-awareness. When we can be self-aware that what we're resisting persists as a decision that needs to be made, and in this McMansion of decisions, the door is open. There is a decision that needs to be made. And again, this door is not locked, but whenever you make a decision, you can close the door. It becomes a closed loop. At any point in time, you can revisit it. Somebody could introduce to me the most delicious additive to coffee ever, and it could actually make my heart stronger and make me live to be 150, and I could go from black coffee is the only way I'll ever drink coffee to I only drink coffee with this amazing additive, let's call it Goat's milk. I don't know. Right. It's like, oh my goodness, I, we figured out a way to mix goat's milk with gold, and now we all live to be 150. Great. Give me that additive, put it in my milk. I'm ready to live to be 150 as long as I can have my 47 year old body. <laughs> and when we feel that we're restricting something from ourselves, it creates friction. So if you decide to restrict, uh, information from yourself or a food item from yourself or or uh, somebody from your life, if it feels like a restriction, you are going to create friction. We want to get ourselves into a place where we don't feel like we're restricting ourselves from something as much as we're actively choosing to not eat it, drink it, participate with it. That's it. I don't feel like I'm restricting myself from alcohol. I've gone to a grocery store and stood on the alcohol aisle. I think wine bottle labels are absolutely awesome to look at. Some people are very creative with their wine bottle labels. And when I find myself on an alcohol aisle, I'll just look at wine bottle labels. Still to this day, I think Rex Goliath is one of the coolest wine bottle labels that I've ever seen. I loved Rex Goliath back in the day. I don't feel any, any, any inkling to go drink Rex Goliath, but I will look at that wine bottle label and I just think it's super adorable because alcohol can exist, but I don't feel it, I'm not restricting myself from it. There is no friction there. I, I have closed the chapter on that book. If in your own mind you could visualize the, per, the version of you that was the addict that needed that addictive substance and you could just visualize yourself closing up that book and putting that chapter of your life on a bookshelf, much like the little aliens with the marbles just picked up all the universes and threw them in a bag, you could just take that version of yourself and you put you know, the end to Alcoholic Jesse and now it's on the bookshelf. And now sobriety and recovery Jesse, I'm writing that book every single day. And that other book is up there. I can't take those memories out. I can't take those experiences. That lives in my soup. But I don't feel that I'm restricting. At the beginning, I even allowed alcohol to be in my room to make sure I was true. You've heard this if you've listened to the old episodes. I kept three, a couple bottles of wine underneath my bed I kept a 12 pack in my closet and I kept a bottle of Jack Daniels in the drawer right next to my bed. I literally needed only to roll over and open up a drawer to have whiskey in my hand. And I kept it there for six weeks because I didn't want to do this. I will be completely honest. I wanted to know it was true. I wanted to know that Jesse had made this decision for himself by himself. And I was like, you know what, dude, there it is. If you want it, there it fucking is. I am not restricting you from it. It is absolutely right there. But we also are going to these meetings and we're going to this therapist and we're going to this hospital and we're learning new things and we really enjoy this. Why don't we do this from now on? And why don't we never do that again? And yes, there were some days where I was like never doing it again. And other days I'm like, you know what? Just one day at a time, man. One hour, one hour. Go get home from work and I'm like, it was a shitty day at work and there's that whiskey in that drawer. I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm just telling you what worked for me. I kept it. I didn't feel like it was restriction. And by the 6th week whenever I gave it to my roommate and said all years this is real. This is absolutely real. This is who I am now. We we hugged. We high-fived. They congratulated me. But in a way that I, I was already that person. It was like I'd already won that event if you will. I'd already hoisted the trophy by living those 6 weeks with out alcohol. In my system, but so readily available. By the time I got there, I was like, okay, this is just who I am. There was no restriction. That's no friction. It's right there, dude. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you my lived experience. You're going to have your own experiences with it. You might need to make sure that nothing is in your house for the first year or for the rest of your lives. You get to make your own decision on that. But it's imperative that you don't feel that you're restricting yourself because if you do feel like you're restricting yourself, then you're going to have friction. And it's only going to be a matter of time before a bad day or somebody looks at you sideways and your brain says, hey, hey, we've already made this decision. Let's go over to this decision-made room. Let's open this door. Look what's in there. Somebody pissed us off, so we use drugs. Look, we already made it. In fact, we've been here so long, there's a tread in our decision-making mansion that leads us right to this door. Instead, I created a whole new hallway. I don't take things personally and I and I highly suggest you don't either. You can say, "Wow, Jesse just introduced this ridiculous philosophy. Everything I think is true about black coffee. Everything I think is true about sobriety and recovery. Um, what if that, what if that is? What if everything I think about sobriety and recovery is true? But what if everything I think about sobriety and recovery is false? Does that mean I'm no, Does that change my decision to be sober and in recovery? It wouldn't. But again, I'm making that based off of this hypothesized philosophy." I don't actually get to experience that. And in some cases, somebody might be like, you know, it's not really true that, you know, keeping alcohol in your room was a good idea. In fact, that was pretty stupid. Okay, so it turns out that keeping booze in my room was completely stupid. My belief that it was a good idea is false. Does that change the fact that that's what I did? No. Does it change the fact that whenever I'm trying to get rid of sugar from my life and be super healthy, I don't throw away all my sugar. I keep Oreos in the cabinet. I keep potato chips in the pantry if you want them so fucking bad, there they are, dude. But you've made a decision not to eat the chips, not to eat the candy, to hit the gym, to lose this weight, to release these pounds, to do something new with your life, to do that. And maybe on Tuesday, you give yourself the treat of one Oreo cookie, but it's not restriction. It is a decision. Ooh, maybe that's how we can start to create it. It's not a restriction. It's a decision. Now, if your decision is made upon restriction, then we might want to shift that. But let's go with this hypothesis that we are not restricting ourselves from alcohol, drugs, or food or anything. We have made a decision, a sound mind decision to shift the course of our lives by no longer introducing this thing into our system, our whole ecosystem. And here's this thing. It's like, you know, introducing a... uh, a species, what do they call those species of plants and animals? Evasive. It's like introducing an evasive species into an ecosystem that's not prepared and then then being baffled as to why that evasive species took over the entire ecosystem. I, we have figured out a way to take this evasive species, this booze, this drug, this food, this kratom, and remove it. It has now been moved over there into another wing of our decision making McMansion. And now we're living over here. We actually have the ability to remove this item from our ecosystem. The memories that we have created around that item, they don't go away, that's always in our soup. It's always in this metaphor. But moving forward, that lives over there, and I'm over here. I have strong opinions, I do, but I'm not gonna hold onto them so tightly that I'm gonna scream in somebody else's face if they don't believe what I believe. That sounds exhausting. Let's just change subjects or at the very minimum, can we just stop yelling at each other? All of this comes from this self-awareness. What if everything I think about sobriety and recovery is true, and what everybody else that's negative about sobriety and recovery, they think is false? What if everything I think about sobriety and recovery is false, and that everything that other people think that I would consider negative, what if that's true? Does that change the fact that I'm in sobriety and recovery? So if you're writing this down, what if this write down, what if everything I think is true? What if everything you think about everything is true? Does that change the way you feel about the decisions you've made, or your values, your opinions, your beliefs, your standards, your habits? Does that change anything? What if everything you think about and every, every decision you've ever made is false? Does that change your values, or your opinions, your beliefs, your standards, your habits, your principles? Does that change anything? Would you go back and change anything if everything that you ever thought was false? What if everything you think is true, that everything, all the good things you think about something is true and all the negative things that somebody else thinks about this is false. Does that change anything? What if everything you think is positive about sobriety and recovery is false and everything that somebody else thinks that's negative about sobriety and recovery, what if that's true? Does that change anything? Because in the end, it's your life. Your eyes open every day. Your feet hit the ground. You look in that mirror. You prepare yourself for the day. You are the person looking back at you. And every single night you do the you do that stuff in reverse. You look in the mirror. You ask yourself, was today a good day? Was today a bad day? It's all subjective to your perspective anyways. What's a good day for you might be a bad day for somebody else. What was a horrible day for you might have been the best day on the planet for somebody else. But either way, you look in the mirror and you judge yourself. What if everything you think about this day is true? What if everything that you're saying to yourself in that mirror is false? What if everything you think about what today has been for you is true? And everything that what somebody else might think about your day is false? What if everything you think about your day is false, and everything that somebody else thinks about your day is true? Does any of that really change the way that you see yourself in the mirror? It may. It also may not. But either way, it's you looking at you, and then you walking over to your bed. And you putting your feet into the bed and you putting your head on that pillow and your brain making a decision in that moment on how it's going to judge that day and what it's going to look forward to doing the next day. And it's all based on your own subjective perspective of yourself and of who you believe you are. You can have strong opinions and you can hold them loosely and you can allow other people to introduce philosophies and psychologies and practices and principles in, but you do not have to absorb all of it. You don't have to believe any of it if you choose not to. It doesn't make it any more or less true to the other person. It becomes your truth. It becomes your decision. It becomes another room in this gigantic mansion that you now and have always been able to maneuver in freely and flexibly. You can revisit any decision you've ever made. You can open that door and you can say, you know what, today I think cream in my coffee is a good idea. You know what, today I think mustard and ketchup on my hot dog is a good idea. You know what, today I think that continuing to no longer drink is a great idea and I'm going to keep following this. You know what, maybe I'm just going to move into this room and every decision I make from here on out breaks off from this room. I am no longer drinking or using drugs. It becomes the new heartbeat of my McMansion. And every decision I make is going to have this one decision at its has its centralized location. This is the room I choose to live in now. And every path I take from this room always leads back to this room, is, is rooted in this room. I'm getting chills as I say that. Everything I have created in my life since January 13th of 2017 has spawned from this room. I want you to spawn your life from you, the day you decided to no longer be subservient to your addiction, to shift the way you see the world, to shift the way you experience your life. I've toddled on for over an hour about this, and I'm not really sure if, we, if we're any more substantiated in our sobriety and recovery than we were at the beginning. But our mind is meant to be stretched, It's meant to go outside of our comfort zone. When you are uncomfortable in your comfort zone, that tells me you need to shift to being more comfortable in your uncomfort zone. When you tell me you can't do something, you are fighting for a life you've already told me you're tired of. You can do anything. You simply need to make the choice, walk into that room, and allow every other decision to branch from that choice. If it's empowering and impactful, and it comes from a place of love for yourself, I can assure you it won't feel as if you're restricting. It'll feel like a gift. And that, my friends, is the beauty of waking up every single day sober. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Shout out to Robert. Glow on. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.